0: Time to find your way back to your seats. Something must happen in that first half of the service, because, you know, I see you guys when I greet you outside, and you look still like zombies, and yet, during greeting time, I can't get you back here, ready to go. What is that, Chris? Oh, (laughs) Chris is being good. Wow, well welcome. We're glad you're here this morning. We're going to continue this series on family matters and we're going to be talking about marriage this morning. Now, already before I finish that statement, uh, those of you who aren't married uh, just checked out on me. Don't do that because really the principles we're talking about, they would lend itself really to any relationship, but I want to put them in the context of marriage this morning. Now, if you've been married at all, you've probably received all type of marriage tips, have you not? Uh, um, over the years, maybe they came from your parents right when you got married. Some you uh, put into place, some you disregarded right away. And we've had a video we, we showed years ago, but it's really my favorite of the, the marriage videos that we've shown. And so uh, I'm going to show you that to kind of make sure you're, you start out laughing because as we get going in the service, maybe uh, it won't be as much. But uh, check this video out. Um, Allowing her to feel guilt can actually feel good. Right you are, because guilt is acting an acting for good financial stewardship. <laughs> now and also be really effective <laughs> be So there you go. like some of you guys, um, I was watching, you were, some of you men, you were taking notes before you knew that was a comedy video at the end. Uh, don't put those into play. So hey, we could uh, walk through a lot of practical ideas. We've done that in some of our past teachings on marriage, uh, things where we've talked about date nights and, and, and things like that. Uh, but this morning, I, I'd instead, I'd like to give you this overarching concept of marriage. Now again, you could apply it to just about any relationship, but I think this is most significant in marriage. And so I, wanna, I want you to, to think about it in terms of what is your goal? What's your role? Like, what is your purpose as a spouse if you're in a married relationship? Like, if you look at the person that's sitting next to you, that, that spouse, right? And you remember back to the time when you met, and you probably can recount your love story uh, in your head. Um, usually, when we sit with a couple, it's Shri that uh, will ask, Well, tell me how you met. Um, I'm secretly in my head going, ugh. Um, but she is, you know, she's very interested. But I, I've never done that uh, openly out loud. Um, so, and then we'll hear this great story of how they met. And it's always unique. There's always something in the story that's unlike anyone else's story. And there's always this look where the husband and wife will turn and kind of look at each other first before they launch into the story. As if to say, I know what you're thinking, I know what you're thinking, you know, kind of thought. If you think back to that moment, that story, and then you think back to your wedding and everything that went on that day, I remember for me that the biggest deal was I wanted an indoor church wedding because I wanted the doors to open and her to be standing there. And I can remember even to this day, that's the one vivid memory in the wedding of how I felt and I just about buckled, you know, with the the whole thing. Um, If you think about that now, think about how you might have lost sight of some of that over the years of marriage. Uh, Think about now the things you might even allow yourself to say or even do uh, to your spouse. And you might ask yourself, where do we get off the rails? Or um, why isn't it quite the same as it once was? And so this morning, I want to just give you this overarching idea that I think you thought in the beginning already, and I want to make sure you're putting it into play uh, every day uh, in your, your uh, marriage. Now, uh, as we walk through this, I want to make sure that you know if, uh, if you're feeling the urge— to tap or hit your spouse, as if to say, listen up, this one's for you, bud. Um, so this may not be the best context for you to do that uh, this morning, and um, I don't have time to stop and have marriage counseling in the middle of the sermon this morning, but I think this is going to be very effective and helpful for you. Now, if you're not married this morning, maybe this is a principle to already go, uh, put in place for the future. You may be looking towards marriage. The best time to get marriage right— is before you get married. That's the best time. Make sure it's the right person. Make sure God is really leading and calling and make sure you have the good support network around. Um, But this principle can be helpful. If you've been married and it didn't work, at least in the sense that you know you look back and say, wow, we did not handle that very well and and marriage broke up. Um, The Lord might very well have somebody in your life down the road, the Lord might very well have a relationship that He wants to bring you into, and this would be very important for you if you 're like hey I, I did that i 'm done that 's over in my life um, Then this morning there might be somebody, a child in your life or a, a neighbor, a coworker somebody who you can build into so I think this is important all the way around what 's the purpose of marriage you know um, When I was playing uh, high school baseball then I played college baseball, I remember early on getting this kind of phrase, and I'm not quite sure how it was worded. I came to think it a certain way, Um, but I I think it's said many different ways from many different coaches, and it's basically uh, a thing around leadership on a sports team. I would guess this applies across the board to other teams, but on a sports team, a coach would often say, a real leader makes those around them better. Like like a real leader on a team can make those around them better than what they are. So if you're on a sports team and you have a very small role, just a, a little role, you come off the bench, you do a little thing every once in a while and you go back to that, like a good leader will make that person shine in that role. If you're an everyday player, if uh, you're a starter, maybe you're a superstar, a, a good leader will help that person shine in that role. They'll make everyone better around them. Uh, A not-so-good leader on a sports team usually focuses on themselves and what they can do for themselves and make sure everybody knows what's going on with them. Can I just tell you that over the years, this is the key principle that I see God actually sharing in his word and that I've come to know that in my marriage, the best thing I can do is that same principle— the principle of, of making those around me better. Now, in the, in the situation of marriage, there is only one around me uh, in that situation, and that's my wife. It's almost 21 years we've been married. And the key overarching principle that I see God's word teaching is this principle that it's my job to help my wife thrive. That's my job, and that's, that's my purpose and my role. In fact, my purpose is not just to love her. I love her to accomplish the purpose. But my goal is to look at her and say, you know what? 21 years ago, I committed to you. I committed to help you thrive. And in that, uh, here is what I'm willing to do to help you thrive. I'm willing to love you. I'm willing to look past anything that ever were to happen that in some situation and some times in people's lives have caused them to stop loving because I want you to thrive I'm going to keep loving in those situations. I'm willing to forgive uh, when forgiveness is needed. I'm willing to just flat out work for you. And yesterday I pressure washed the back porch because my wife wanted the back porch pressure washed um, because I want her to thrive what does that mean? It means this. When I look at our relationship, that I see God has designed Sheree for a certain purpose. Like God looks at her and says, I have this fabulous plan for your life. This is what I want to make of you, Sheree. This is what I would design you to to be and to do. Um, And I could, you know, rattle off a long time about what I see, think that is, but, you know, it's not a sermon about Sheree. I could share a sermon like that, but uh, I won't today. And God is saying, you know what, Tom? You're right there every day. Your job is to make that plan happen to the level that God has called, Sheree, to. You're going to work right in there because, because you're, the, you're the one there every single day. In fact, this principle actually comes into play in the Old Testament. It begins at the very beginning. We get this, this picture at the beginning that God created husband and wife. And if you remember before woman was created that all the animals came to uh, Adam, and it said a suitable helper was not found for Adam. Now, if you want to be really just straight up uh, traditionally chauvinistic about that, you would, you would look at that and you would interpret that, well, the wife is there to help and assist the uh, husband— and she's like, uh, right there from the beginning of Genesis, she's kind of like on this level and the, and the guy's on this level. You would be missing the understanding in the Hebrew altogether. That when we understand a helper, we, what we find in God's word, this, uh, this meaning is a, compatib- a compatible partner. Like, like somebody who is compatible that would make, that would make Adam whole. And that, that when these animals came, there was no animal that could make Adam whole. And so God designs and creates woman that now this whole can be there. How do we know this? Well, we find very soon after this in Genesis in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 24, if you remember the famous verse that it says the, the husband and wife, they leave parents and they become one, they cleave to one another is what the scripture actually says. And what does it say after that? The two shall become one, one. You see, he said it's wholeness. Those two together are one. It it just wouldn't make as much sense to me in the scripture to say that, you know, the guy is the, you know, the up here and the the lady is just kind of the helper, um, the servant, the assistant down here. But if they come together, we kind of got one wholeness of what I designed in the beginning no, it's, it's these two halves that come together in this form, united as one. Here's the interesting part. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 says this phrase again. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Same word. Same word in Hebrew. You see, they're going to leave the father and mother. They're going to cleave together, become one. The Lord your God is one. Same Hebrew word, same Hebrew meaning in the Old Testament. And that meaning in its simplest form is the word unique. Do you know that means, those of you who are married, your oneness is unique. It's different than anyone else's. It's unlike anything else you would experience in life. Why do we encourage people when we talk about the living together versus married? Is because God's word even teaches us from the beginning, this marriage is unique. It's different. It's unlike any other relationship you'll have. And even further, I like to think your individual marriage is unlike anyone else's individual marriage. What Sri and I have, how we interact together with one another, who I am and who who she is and how God has designed us, is different than your marriage. It's different than you. It's unique. And so in the very beginning, that's what we learn about marriage— in fact, we learn that so powerful from the book of, of Genesis and then Deuteronomy, and that's in the Pentateuch of the Bible, the first five books. But we find after that, starting in book, in book six, just keep working your way through the Bible, there is no more dominant metaphor of God than the metaphor of marriage and then the metaphor of parents to children. And we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. This is how God uses, this is the, 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 the metaphor God uses to describe so many things, including his love for us and his relationship with us. So overall, when we're one like that, we're one. My job is to help my wife to thrive. Your job is to help your spouse to thrive. Here's a problem. Um, if I look at something from my own perspective, if I look at something as, what can I get out of this— what do I need this person to do for me? Or if I look at it just flat out selfish all the time, I can never get to this principle. I never could get to the principle of saying, how do I make that person thrive if my focus is on me? I want to share with you just for a second a couple passages. And then a couple of my, one of them is a hard passage, but let me just share it with you. Ephesians chapter 4 shares these, these passages, and Paul is talking uh, in in this scripture about marriage, husbands, wives. Here's what he says first uh, off. He says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, hold on to that thought for just a second, and we're gonna come back to what I think that means and what it's, it's, it's speaking to in terms of, of wife and husbands. Just a little further down, a couple verses, it says this, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. So if we look at these two things real quick, we have uh, the action points of it. It says uh, a husband is to love, a wife is to submit. Now, filter those through our, our contextual uh, thinking here and we would go, wow, it sounds like the man gets off easy here. Like he's the authoritative one in charge all the time. He says, hey, we're going here because I'm the man of the house and, you know, I make the decisions kind of thing. And the woman is supposed to just say, okay, honey, whatever you think, I'll do that. The problem is that this really would not be consistent if we looked at the whole of the New Testament. If we looked at how Jesus interacted with people, if, if what Jesus called us to, it really wouldn't fit. So what's Paul getting at here? Let me start with the, the husband part here. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Men, do you understand what this scripture is saying when it says to love your wife? To love your wife the way Christ love the church. It means you got to take a look at Jesus, and you have to take a look at how did he love people? How did he love his his church? How did he love all those that he came in contact with? Well, it's an interesting passage, but in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, we get a glimpse of this. It says this, you must have the same attitude of Christ Jesus, right? We're going to love like Christ Jesus, the same attitude of Christ Jesus. This is what he did. Though he was God— He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Do you understand what this scripture is saying? That Jesus, even though he was God, and he had every right to claim 100% divineness and divine authority and power everywhere he went and everything he did, Jesus humbled himself. It says that instead he gave up the divine privileges, he took the humble position of a slave and was born of a human being. It's like Jesus saying, look, I rightfully could have this if I wanted, but this is where, this is what I need to do. This is what God has called me to this is where he wants me to be in this, in this world and in this life. And I'm going to live it out that way. Men, can I just tell you for a second, um, that's what we're called to do with our spouses. That we're called to look at our spouse and we're called to love so much that we would humble ourselves to help her be what God has designed her to be. Now, unlike this scripture, guys, uh, we have no equality with God. So if you're trying to play it out fully, um, you're missing it. Uh, We don't have that equality that Christ had. But nonetheless, when we look at the position he put himself in, that's what we're called to do. That's the love of Jesus Christ here, the way Jesus loved his church, is to submit and to be humble to help the church thrive. And we're to do the same with our spouse. Listen, men, if you would so humble yourself to look to your wife and to think of her in those terms and to think, how do I every day help her thrive? Can I just tell you how powerful a position that would be? There was a guy, Jeff, and uh, he was a friend of ours and we were at a a church leaders conference once and we were in a circle and we were kind of going around and we were saying the thing that that we kind of say every day to our spouse. Like there might be something you say every day from as simple as, you know, like, hey, what kind of coffee you want to, uh, you know, maybe something more profound. I went around the circle with a few people. I got to Jeff and he said, well, the first thing I say when I open my eyes in the morning is I turn to my wife and I say, how can I serve you today? Of course, us men are thinking, what a jerk. We're going to take him back and rough him up. You know, but like that's the key that we would look and we would humble ourselves in this way. Ladies, can you understand when it says this means submit to your husband?" If you had a husband who was saying, "My job is to help you thrive, my job is, is to put myself in this position that no matter what you need, what you need me to do, I'm going to help you be what God has designed you to be." Why would you not want to submit before that? Like, why would you not want to partner with that? That's what the scripture is getting at here. This oneness, it's an equalness here. An equal submission, an equal humbling. The Bible teaches that to the man in this passage, Paul puts it in terms of saying, guys, you got to love the way Christ loved. Can I tell you a couple things about Christ's love? Christ loved through wrongdoings. Did you know that? I think about how far you could be in your marriage, husband or wife, if we just love through wrongdoings, right because guess what we 're going to do it in a marriage right uh, we 're going to have wrongdoings in a marriage now, maybe not like Jordan and Crystal because they 're still newlyweds here, worry somewhere yeah, yeah, I mean like you guys are still like right on perfect um, four years oh he 's probably messing up by now then, huh yeah, yeah uh, you can have wrongdoings. You know what Jesus did? Jesus loved through wrongdoings. He loved through them. I and mean, Jesus was just so willing to love. I mean, he took a woman who was caught in the midst of adultery, put before her. By Jewish law, she needed to be stoned and killed. And Jesus offers healing, grace, redemption to her. He even was so clever in how he interacted that all her accusers went home with their tail between their legs. That was Jesus' love through wrongdoings. Guess what? Jesus blessed others when he was persecuted. You know, sometimes in our marriage, uh, we actually persecute one another. You ever done that? I mean, We call it in our family sometimes that I'm willing to risk the wrath. It means I'm going to say something, and I may not get a good response uh, from this, but I feel like it needs to be said. I, Jesus loved through that. He blessed people, the scripture said, when he was being persecuted. He taught us to do the same kind of thing. That's the love we're talking about here. Did you know that Jesus welcomed children? He welcomed them. When his, when his followers, his closest disciples, were like, children, get away. Don't bother Jesus. Don't bother the master. Jesus was like, no, 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 no. Come. I, I'll take this interruption. And he, he spoke into them as well. Jesus loved in so many different ways. We find that um, Jesus actually welcomed interruptions. If you know anything about marriage, your life is going to be interrupted sometimes within your marriage. Jesus welcomed them. One time, Jesus was just walking through a crowd on way where he was going, and people were tugging on his garments, right? And all of a sudden, he felt it. Power went out from him, and he turned, and there was a lady, an issue of bleeding for years, And he stops. He interacts with her and she finds healing. Jesus welcomed interaction. This is how Jesus loved. We don't find in scripture that Jesus loved because he commanded people all the time. Or that Jesus said, hey, go do this, go do that. I'm in charge around here. I have the authority. I have the power. You submit to to me. We find he loves through his humility. When a husband and wife are doing this back and forth with each other, you're helping one another thrive. If you're set up right now, you're not married yet, but you're like, you know, you got Google guys eyes at each other and the time might come, put this principle in play now to look at each other and say, I'm going to help you thrive. That's what my job is. In fact, I want to say it this way. Maybe you'll remember it. Uh, that when I look at my spouse, I want to say, look, my glory is going to be in your glory. That, like my glory is going to be your glory. So as I help you and elevate you to be the person, God, I'm going to find tremendous satisfaction and joy in that, especially when she's doing it the same for me. So how do we get started on something like this? Um, if you're in a marriage right now and you're like, um, hey, that's awesome, Tom, but my starting point is is pretty rough. You know, right now, um, I don't look at that, you know, how do I help you thrive? It's more like, how do I— how do I keep from killing you today? Um, I mean, maybe that's your starting point. Maybe it's just rough. How do we start that? Well, i want to share with you another passage and maybe put a twist on it for you this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is what we often call the love passage. Are you familiar with it? Uh, Maybe you had it read at your wedding uh, where the minister shared these type of things. Now, you don't remember those words because, you know, it was your wedding and you were just… you were just such in, in, in love that day or in, in goo-goo feelings that day. That um, So I'm going to read it for you and make sure you remember it. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It always hopes and endures through every circumstance. Now, let me ask you a question. When I read those things, when I read that scripture, did you think, is my spouse that? Or did you think, am I that? Because I'm telling you, if, you, if, if your knee jerk was to think, is my spouse these things, your starting point's probably not Right? It doesn't mean there might not be a day to evaluate those things within your spouse, Um, but I think God first is saying, how about evaluate it within yourself? How about instead of love is here, um, you've replaced that with the phrase I am, or am I? Am I patient and kind? Uh, Are you in your marriage patient and kind? Man, I can think of times in my marriage I haven't been. I can think of seasons where I'm like man I don't know what it was exactly but you know I was a tyrant not patient am I jealous or boastful or proud or rude do I demand my own way am I irritable do I keep records of wrongs a marriage killer you keep marriage I've been telling you, you you get my mom up on stage right now right and you share anything about my first driving experience, and she is going to immediately tell you about me taking off the rearview mirror on my little uh, Geo Metro car back in 1989. Um, she won't just tell you the story, though. She will tell you as if this is a habitual problem that I continue to have in my life, um, and that you want to keep all rearview mirrors away from me. That's just how she processes it. That's a fun story for our family to joke with. It's a marriage killer if we hold on to those things. Do you remember that time when you did this? Oh, well, you, yeah, it'll hurt. Uh, am I, do I rejoice about injustice? Uh, do I, uh, <clears throat> do I not rejoice whenever truth wins out? Um, do I give up? Do I just lose faith? Do I have any hope? Do I bring endurance to every situation? How about starting with ourselves in this and start tracking through that. Here's what I know about myself. I, I, I mean, I know I'm your pastor, and, and I know when you look at me, you're like, wow, the epitome of holiness and that type of thing. But the truth of the matter is, like I look at this, and when I put the I am on, there are many times when I would go before the Lord and say, God, please develop within me something better in this area. I, I'm not satisfied with where I'm at here. I'm not satisfied do you know that somewhere around um, gosh it was just a couple years before I got married and like I said 21 years so I'm 23 years and I had I was uh, finishing college but somewhere around there I was just confronted with the words of Jesus about being a blessing to other people and I mean he got me on this and I put the I am in front of it I, am I am I encouraging am I a blessing to other people and I was a youth pastor at the time, and I concluded, I'm not. It didn't take me long to conclude it. There's a little prayer chapel on the campus of Azusa Pacific University, and I remember spending one afternoon, and uh, uh, as you know, you know, Die Hard is my favorite movie, yet um, I still can have moments where I cry, and uh, usually in Die Hard. Um, but no, I went to the prayer chapel, and I just had this moment where I just broke down and, and even cried, thinking, how in the world, Tom, are you going to have a life of ministry— and you don't, you don't really desire, like it's not your knee jerk to be a blessing and an encouragement to other people. I wanna tell you, it, it's changed. That changed in my life. Not immediate, but uh, the Lord developed within me this drive, this desire, this, this mission to want to be a blessing to people, to want to be an encouragement to other people, to want to say encouraging words. And anytime I can look at them and I can go, I got a critique for you but to choose the encouragement and the blessing. That's me. If you read a passage like this, and any of those that you might have said, gosh, Lord, within me, in my marriage, I know I'm not this. And like me, you can just go, you don't even have to find a prayer chapel, you can just go right to the Lord and say, Lord, develop within me this, because I'm not patient, because I'm rude, because I'm on and on and on. Start with yourself here And let God develop within you. Here's the wonderful thing about this. These are the attributes of love. So when you cultivate these, when God changes these, changes your heart to be more like these things, then you're doing the actions of love. And here's the wonderful things. If you've blown it in the past, maybe many, many times in your marriage, maybe you've said things or done things, maybe this morning just trying to get in the car and get to church, you said and did things. The beautiful passage in 1 Peter 4, 8, it's love that covers a multitude of sins. Do you know what the passage is saying? It's love. It's these attributes of love. It's carrying these out for your spouse. That covers a multitude of sins. It will cover over, bring forgiveness and healing to the dumb things you might have done up till now. Love does it. And it's God who teaches us how to love with these attributes. And moreover, he teaches us how to love, as we shared in the first section there, by the way he loved his church. So where do you start absolutely today as we close up? Here's the first thing. If you need to forgive your spouse or you need to seek forgiveness for your spouse, that's where you start. Honey, you just need to forgive me for this. I've been a jerk in this area. I've done this and that. Or maybe it's very clear to both of you what's happened. You've just never sought the healing of forgiveness. Go seek forgiveness. If you know your spouse has been wanting forgiveness and you've been holding it over their head for Short time, long time, doesn't matter. Offer forgiveness. That's the starting point. Because forgiveness then opens the door to everything we've talked about this morning in the way of love and helping our spouse thrive. So your choice this morning, it's with you to go away and to really help your spouse thrive. And in it, your marriage is gonna thrive. Two people helping one another surrendered before the Lord and submitted to one another. I just can't see how it can't win. And God's word backs us up on this. So I want to encourage you in this area. So let me pray for you. Um, Because uh, I found in marriage things, if I were to say, hey, come to the front and let's be prayed for, um, often one might be ready to come down and the other won't. Um, And then we create another whole issue of problems when you get in the car and start heading out of here. So let me, if I can this morning, just pray for you um, at where you sit, and I want to lift you up. So Father, uh, thank you for every marriage in here, for every person in here that, that will be in a marriage one day that they can remember the tidbits of this morning. And Father, I thank you for your word that you teach us how to love. It's you teach us, Father, the attributes of love. You make it so clear to us, not only do we love like you and you give us an example, but then you list out, here's some things you can do and be like that would bring this love out. And Lord, this morning it may be that that list needs to be a training guide for some. That this morning they need to say, I struggle in some of these areas, but I'm gonna work that list of actions. I'm gonna look at my spouse And I'm going to say, I will offer forgiveness and I won't hold on to wrongs you've done. I'm going to be patient with you. I'm going to rejoice in all your good. Even if I'm struggling, I'm just going to work that list because in it, God is going to show me what love really is. This morning, my prayer is that every spouse in here could go away and at very least their starting point would be I'll forgive, or I'll seek forgiveness and then Lord would you open the floodgates of what you want to do in their marriage Father too many marriages fall apart and I believe that you're looking and saying I've got something so much so much better for you and so Lord I'm praying for victory stories because of your word this morning We'll pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you. Hey, I want to let you know this week uh, that I just want to leave time open for you. Um, I, I'm not a, a marriage counselor in, in that sense of um, a therapeutic type of counseling. Um, it's really offering biblical advice and biblical insight. And I, so if it, this week you would say, hey, Tom, I, I think— I think we're just in a place where we need to sit down and have a conversation or we, we just need help getting on track here. I would love to be able to do that. You could use the welcome card if you want. You could just say, hey, I'd like to meet with Pastor Tom uh, this week or, or line something up. I'd love to do that. And I want to make sure my schedule stays open for you this week on that. So please let me know on that. Hey, uh, as our, uh, in a couple of minutes our ushers are going to come take up our morning offering. But before we do that, uh, we have… Uh, we have a, a pair that are going to be going to Guatemala. We've been talking about it a little bit, and we wanted to take the time the mor- this morning to have them come up and, and kind of, uh, we want to make sure you know who they are, and uh, just give them a minute to kind of say, uh, w- kind of where they're at in the process, and, and when they'll be headed out, and then uh, we'd love to just pray for them as a congregation in the next couple minutes. And uh, so, uh, guys, if you'd come up and. All right. We'll start with Richard. So if you just tell the congregation kind of where you're at and when uh, when you guys would be